0: You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. We're going to be talking about something today. Uh, we're going to be talking about something today that I believe is going to be a blessing. I want to talk about from the subject racism the elephant in the room. Racism, the elephant in the room. And make sure you send your um, questions or comments, and and I believe it's going to be a blessing. Now, this is the second part to a session, my last session, entitled The Divide Between Black Christians and White Christians in America. Uh, Let's review that last session for just a moment. I wanted to talk in that last session about the division in the church in America along political parties and racial lines. I wanted to deal with that issue of division because division is a problem. It's always a problem in any arena. I wanted to communicate, secondly, that no political party, or candidate fully represents the values of the kingdom of God. And that was a huge point that I wanted to make. I talked a little bit and asked a question, which is more important, polish or character? I was challenging you to see why we're divided, because some people say, well, character doesn't matter, policy matters, and then some people say character matters, policy doesn't matter, but I wanted to communicate that both policy and character matters. I was challenging us as Christians in America to put Jesus back on the throne. When you deify human leaders and political parties then though that deification is inherently uh, divisive so that's that's a, a, a brief summary of what I was talking about well what was the motivation for this lesson racism the elephant in the room there were three motivations one was your Q a QA questions are important no question is a bad question listen. You don't have to agree with what I'm saying. You can you can disagree. It's all right, long as we're we're talking. But one of the questions uh, that I was asked was st- stated like this: So, are you saying that Biden was the better choice because he pandered to racism? Now, when I heard that question, it kind of opened my thinking up, and, and um, you also. The person also said, what about him, referring to Biden, uh, Joe Biden, being uh, for same-sex marriage and homosexuality, and you said that an entire nation, uh, the person said the entire nation was destroyed because of homosexuality. Now, when I heard that, two things went off, and I'll say this quickly. Number one, it was obvious to me, and you can disagree with me, it was obvious to me that the person who sent the question appeared to elevate same-sex relations and homosexuality above racism. And my point was, I believe that's the problem. We elevate one thing over another when both things may be important to God. And then when you use the word pander, and I'm a word person, the word pander to racism, Pander simply means to please other people by saying what you think they want to hear or doing what you think they want to do. Pander to racism, to me, you were saying that Joe Biden was pandering to black people and racism. Now, you know, you, you have a right to say what you want to say, but at the same time, it opened my eyes thinking, to, I needed to talk a little bit more about the issue of racism. A second thing that motivated me to talk about racism, the elephant in the room, is someone on social media, a, a young minister on social media asked this question. Help me to understand why do certain believers don't get as upset about racism as as they do about everything else. So the subject of racism popped up again. And then thirdly, I was doing an interview and I'll paraphrase what one of the uh, listeners uh, said. Uh, What is enough? When will black people be satisfied? What do they want? That's a simple question to answer. Black people, and I don't consider myself a spokesman for all black people, But I believe that black people want equality. That's what they want. They want to be seen as equal. They want to be treated as equal. And they want to participate in America as an equal. Now, that's how I got to this subject. So let's talk about it. Racism, the elephant in the room. This is the second part. Change the title a little bit, but this is the second part to last week's session The Divide Between Black Christians and White Christians in America. Racism, the Elephant in the Room. Now, I've got two goals. One of the goals I have is I, I want to answer the question why does racism persist? We're talking about a problem that. Is four hundred years old. So why does racism persist? Now, the second thing I want to do, and hopefully you'll get the 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 heart behind what I'm trying to do, is I wanna I wanna motivate our white pastors and ministers to preach and teach against racism. Now, I know that there are white pastors who listen to my podcast and listen to me, and then there are white Christians who listen to me. And so I'm imploring you, I'm challenging you, if you're a white pastor, it is so very important that you preach and teach against racism. Now, I think all pastors, black, white, red, yellow, and brown— should preach against racism. But I think especially in this time of the divide in the church along racial lines, and in particular, blacks and white Christians, I think it's very important for white pastors to preach and teach against racism. And I'm not saying say is wrong. I'm not saying a statement against racism. I'm talking about sermonizing. I'm talking about series about it, the what, the why, the how, the when. And hopefully when I get through talking, you'll understand why that's so very important. Now, the word, the phrase, the elephant in the room is a metaphorical idiom in English, in the English language for an obvious problem or controversial issue that no one wants to talk about and avoids discussion because it is more comfortable to do so. I wanna say that again. We're talking about racism, the elephant in the room. This statement or phrase The elephant in the room is a metaphorical idiom in English for an obvious problem or controversial issue that no one wants to talk about and avoids discussion because it is more comfortable to do so. And that's the problem that we're having in the issue of racism is that we don't want to talk about it. We want it to go away. We want to stop it. We say that it's divisive to talk about it. It's stirring up things when we talk about it. So we'll never solve it if we don't talk about it, even if we disagree because the truth of the matter, as Paul said, we all see through a glass darkly. In other words, none of us have all the truth. None of us are right all the time, including past, including Mike Moore. So, but it's important that we talk. Whether we agree, because we can keep talking, we got the nature of Jesus, we saved. we got the same Father, we're in the kingdom, we read basically the same Bible, so we should be able to talk about hard issues even if we disagree. So if you disagree with anything that I say today, you're welcome to say it. You know, I'm not going to put you down or talk about you or whatever. I'm trying to get us to talk. Now, Jeremiah 6, 19, the B part of the Authorized King James Version. Jeremiah 16, verse 19, the B part of the verse. It says, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Now, in talking about racism, the elephant in the room, because we're just going to talk about this elephant, we have to talk some history. We have to talk history. Now, I know that there are Christians who want to say, you know, there's nothing we can do about the history. There's nothing we can do about slavery. There's nothing we can do about the past. Why don't we just drop the rocks and just start from where we are? Well, let me ask you a question because history is so very important. Let's say a young adult or just an adult person, woman, let's say a female, comes to you for counseling. Let's say you're a counselor. And uh, the female, in talking to you, says to you that she is struggling emotionally, dealing with depression, dealing with discouragement. And she says, I was molested as a child, I was sexually abused by my stepfather. I was abused sexually by my stepbrother, so forth and so on. Now, what you think as a counselor, it would be reasonable wisdom to say, let's not talk about what happened in the past. Let's don't even bring it up let's just start right where you are, you're an adult, and let's not talk about what happened to you in the past. No, no counselor would say what happened to you in the past does not matter. What happened to the past is a link to the present, can also give you some answers to how you address the present, and how you change the future or a better future. So history is so very important. Yet many Christians don't want to talk about the history of racism in America, but we have to talk about history. Now, listen to me carefully. Racism was engrafted in American society through what I'm calling an unholy alliance. An unholy alliance. An unholy alliance between, number one, a a racist white minister or the racist white church, and I'm saying that for a reason, and the racist white slave owner, I'm saying that for a reason, and the racist white lawmakers. So there's an unholy union. There is the racist white church, or we could say ministers, and then there's the racist white slave owners, and then there's the racist white lawmakers. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, and you got to follow me. I'm going somewhere with this. Now, I mention this because the—and I'm challenging white pastors and trying to give you some idea why it's important that you not be silent about it in this area. Because black people in America did not create race, racism, segregation, discrimination, no— Race, racism, segregation are social, economic, and political constructs. They are a humanly invented classification system that runs counter to 1 Corinthians 1.10, that there be no divisions among you, but race racism and segregation was created by white people. Now, that's so very important because if it was created by white people, it is so important, even though you were not there, even though you did not participate, it is so important that you understand the ramifications and that you also be a chief spokesman chief spokesman for equality. You have to because of the legacy of the church in America. Now, the racist white church, and I'm using church and minister uh, combined, pr- provided the theological justification the theological justification. Now, I'll talk about that in a moment. The racist white slave owner provided the economic profit motive. You see, slavery was an economic system. And the racist white lawmakers provided the legal enforcement. Now, when we look at the racist white church or white ministers, providing the theological justification. I'm talking about the justification for the dehumanization and the inhumane treatment of the enslaved African. Now, in order to have slavery, and the inhumane treatment and the all the, the abuse, for example, uh even post-slavery, there were lynchings, there were executions, uh, people were invited to lynchings. Uh, Parents brought their children to lynchings. Church let out early so people could get to the lynchings. People got on trains to come to the lynchings. It was advertised on in the papers about a lynching next week or next Sunday or next Saturday. And people took post, people took photos and made postcards out of lynchings. Took body parts and used them as uh, as as uh, items of uh, keepsakes. Now, the in order for the human conscious... To be able to endure that, embrace that, and enjoy that, the human conscience had to be muzzled. And I'm saying that ministers and the white racist church created the justification for the dehumanization of black people. For example, I have a cup. This cup is not a person. Now, because it's not a person, I can use it. I can throw it away. Because it's not a person, I can smash it if I want to. I can throw it on the ground. and and, and I can even tear the cup, and then I can throw it in the trash. I can beat the cup. I can do whatever I want with this cup. I'm not going to go to jail because the cup is not a person. I am saying that people of color had to be dehumanized before the inhumane treatment could be justified. Now, this unholy alliance, I'm going somewhere with this, this unholy alliance used two tools, the Bible and legislation. The Bible and legislation. Ministers used the Bible, Scripture's, like Genesis 4:15, the mark of Cain. Scriptures like Genesis 9:25 through 26, the so-called curse of Ham. And I mentioned that in my book on muted voice. And they use also what is called the Slave Bible, which was a redacted version of the Bible that was created in 1807 uh, in England. I also talk about slavery in my book, Muted Voice. Now legislation was also used. I'll give you two examples of legislation. In 1667, the Virginia uh, General Assembly, the Virginia General Assembly enacted a law that conversion to Christianity did not alter the condition of slaves. In 1857, the Dred Scott decision handed down by the U.S. Supreme Court declared that enslaved people and their descendants can never be citizens, cannot use the courts, and they are property protected by the law in every state. Now, that's the Dred Scott case decision. It concluded that enslaved Africans were profit property. now here's a point that i made in my book muted voice if the bible and legislation engrafted racism in american society then it would take the bible and legislation to dismantle racism in america it's going to take two things to dismantle racism in america it's going to take two things. It's going to take legislation, which is very important, but it's also going to take the Bible. And when I said the Bible, I mean the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the word, the preaching of the good news. Now, when we talk about legislation, I think legislation is important, but I want to show you Take a few minutes and show you the weakness of legislation when legislation is working alone. Somebody, So many people say, we've had legislation, but we're still trying to get equality. Now, listen at this. Legislation, even though it's important, can be ignored. It can be violated. It can be weakened. It can be repealed. It can be overturned. Now, let's look at some illustrations. In 1863, Abraham's Emancipation Proclamation legally freed the slaves in the areas of the South and those states in the South that seceded from the Union. In 1865, the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution— Made slavery illegal in the United States in 1866. Two things happened. There was both the Civil Rights Act. There was a Civil Rights Act in 1866, and then the 14th Amendment granted citizenship to the to African Americans. In 1869, the fifth the 15th Amendment. We had the 13th Amendment made slavery illegal. The 14th Amendment granted African-American citizenship. And then the 15th Amendment in 1869 guaranteed African-American males the right to vote. Okay. If, listen at this, if legislation was enough the civil rights movement of the 60s would have been unnecessary. In 1964, we have the Civil Rights Act. 1964, the Civil Rights Act outlawed discrimination based off race, color, religion, sex, national origin, and it granted equal access to restaurants, Uh, transportation, other public facilities, and any Jim Crow. Why did we need a Civil Rights Act in 1964 if we had a Civil Rights Act in 1866 and we had the 13th and the 14th and the 15th Amendment? In 1965, we had the Voting Rights Act that prohibited... Racial discrimination in voting. But why would we need the Voting Rights Act in 1965 if we had the 15th Amendment that guaranteed African Americans the right to vote? The point that I'm making here is that legislation, while it is important, important. It is important that we engage the political process. It's important that we vote. It's important that uh, Christians run for office and all these things. It's important. But alone, it does not destroy racism. So why does racism persist? Why does it persist? Why does racism persist? Why has it persisted for for? Hundred years. Why has it persisted for four hundred years? Jamar Tisby, in his outstanding book, I've read it more than one time, "The Color of Compromise," said history demonstrates that racism never goes away; it just adapts. Now. I want you to I want you to listen to this because this may be something that you've never heard before. Why does racism persist in America? And why is it so important that the church and in particular the white church, if you want me to say that, I know that's 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 a man-made thing. There's there's only one church. But why is it so important? Now listen to me carefully the ideologies of racism have never been addressed by the church the ideologies of racism have never been addressed by the church and racism begins with ideology now i want you to i want you to think with me for a moment we've had legislation We're trying to get more legislation, but we still deal with racism. Well, it wasn't just legislation that engrafted racism in American society. It was legislation and the Bible. Now, listen to me carefully. It was both. But the ideologies of racism have never been addressed by the church. Now, words are important, so let's define our terms. What does an ideology mean? Ideology is a collection of ideas or beliefs shared by a group of people, a collection of ideas or beliefs that are shared by our group. Now, I want want, want you to see the ideology of racism, the ideology, the belief, the idea that's shared by our group. Now, I want to talk from a political side, and then I want to talk about from a religious side, and I want you to see the ideology flows through both sides. We've never dealt with racism and we've never, listen to me, we've never dealt with the issue of equality. Never, never. Like the person said, what do black people want? When will enough be enough? It will be enough when black people have equality. We've never dealt with equality because we've never dealt with the ideology of racism. Now, let's look at the political side. Now, I'm not in any way trying to destroy the reputation of any person that I met, but let's start on the political side. Thomas Jefferson, who penned the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and are endowed by their creator with certain unenalienable rights. Among these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, Thomas Jefferson penned, along with others, the Declaration of Independence. But when you look at his notes to Virginia... And you can look this up. Notes to the state of Virginia. This is what Thomas Jefferson said. He said, the blacks are inferior to the whites in the endowment both of body and mind. This is Thomas Jefferson. The, the same person now, I'm talking ideology, the same person who said all men are created Equal. Now, listen what he said in another writing in his notes to Virginia. Here's what he says. The blacks are inferior to the whites in the endowment of both body and mind. That's Thomas Jefferson. That's 1814. And that date is very important. I'm going to show you why in a moment. That date is very important. And I want you to listen to the theme now. I want you to listen to a theme, and I want to help you see why we got to teach against this. Now, watch this. Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president, the great emancipator. If you ask me, if you ask me, was Abraham Lincoln was a great president, I would emphatically say, this is my opinion. Now, this is my opinion. Abraham Lincoln was a great president. If you ask me, did Abraham Lincoln benefit black people, African-Americans, enslaved people, I would say, this is my opinion, you may differ, you may differ. I think he benefited African-Americans more than any other president more than any other president. Now, that's my opinion. You may differ with my opinion, but that's my opinion. On the other hand, when you look at Abraham's Lincoln ideology, you'll see something different. And I want you to listen to what Abraham Lincoln said. He said there is a physical difference between the white and the black races. Which I believe will forever forbid the two races living together on terms of social and political equality. And inasmuch as they cannot live while they do remain together, there must be the position of superiority and inferiority. And I, this is Abraham Lincoln, as much as any other man am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race. Now, that is absolutely powerful. It is so powerful that I am going to read it again. Abraham Lincoln, the great emancipator. I'm not, I've already told you what I thought about him. I already told you I thought he was a great president. I already told you that I believe that he benefited uh, African Americans. Now, listen at this. He said there's a physical difference between the white and the black races, which I believe will forever forbid the two races living together on terms of social and political equality. And inasmuch as they cannot live while they do remain together, there must be the position of superior and inferior. And I, as much as any other man, am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race. Now, I'm talking ideology. So here we have a man, and if you read about Abraham Lincoln, he didn't like slavery, He hated slavery. Okay. And he did something about slavery. Now there is a difference. And what he's teaching us that there's a difference in helping people and seeing them as equals. It is a big difference. You can want to help people You can want to uh, be a blessing to people, but that is not the same thing as believing that they are equals. Abraham Lincoln, if you study him and read his writings and, and what he said, he did not believe in the inequality of blacks and whites, he did not believe that. Now, he wanted to abolish slavery because he thought it was inhumane. He thought it was wrong. He thought it was, uh, he thought it was barbaric. Okay, but equality—he didn't believe that blacks and whites were equal. Now, that's something that's very important. Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, I'm talking ideology, the president of the Confederacy, the states that seceded from the Union and developed their own thing, he said this, the government was not founded by Negroes nor for Negroes, but by white men for white men. We recognize the fact. Now, this is what he said. We recognize the fact of the inferiority stamped upon that race of men by the creator. And from the cradle to the grave, our government as a civil institution marks that inferiority. Now, listen to what he says. And I want, I want to ask you the question, where did he get this ideology from? He's a politician, where did he get it from? He got it from racist white ministers who perverted Scripture. Listen to what he says. The government was not founded by Negroes nor for Negroes, but by white men for white men. We recognize the fact of the inferiority. Now, listen to what he says. The inferiority stamped upon that race of men by the Creator. And from the cradle to the grave, our government... As our civil institution marks that inferiority. Now, these are lawmakers. Alexander H. Stephen, the vice president of the Confederacy, I mentioned him in my book, Muted Voice. Listen what he says. The Negro will not, the, the, the Negro is not equal to the white man. Now, this is what he said. This is a politician. The Negro is not equal to the white man. Slavery, subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition. The Negro. This is a politician. Now, I'm talking about ideology. Notice the similarity. Superior, inferior. Superiority. Now, he even adds the word superior race. Now... Alan Ellender. Alan Ellender, this is 1949. We started at 1814. He was a senator in Louisiana. Here's what he says: the Negro himself cannot make progress unless he has white leadership. Now listen to what he says. This is a this is a senator. We're talking politicians. The Negro himself cannot make progress unless he has white leadership. Now, let's fast forward from 1814 all the way up to 2016. Steve King, Republican representative of Iowa, Steve King in the Republican National during the 2016 Republican National Convention, He claimed that non-white people, that includes black people, non-white people have not contributed to the civilization as much as whites. Non-white people, now he is known for his racial rhetoric. Steve King, Republican representative of Iowa, he said that non-white people have not contributed to the civilization as much as whites. Now, this is significant. We started in the political arena, and we moved all the way from 1814 to 2016. Now, think about it. That's 200 years, a little over 200 years, in that same ideology. Whites are superior, blacks are inferior, whites are part of the superior race. That same ideology, it has lasted for over 200 years now. Jamar Tisbe in his book, The Color Purple says, history demonstrates that racism never goes away, it just adapts. Now, let's look in the religious arena and then I'm going to conclude by by just talking, because I got another part to this, what I want to teach you. In the religious arena, now, this is the key to us dismantling this racism. Politicians, they're going to do what they're going to do. Hopefully, we can get believers in, as politicians, believers as lawmakers, because the laws are important. Legislation is important. Now, watch this. But we need the religious side. We need religious people. We need Christians, white and black, and we need white pastors to speak out against racism. In the 18th century, George Whitfield, one of the greatest revivalists of that day, owned slaves and petitioned. The political leaders of Georgia to allow slavery. This is one of the, when you think of 18th century rivalists he's gonna always come up, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards in the 18th century, Harold as America's greatest theologian, the the the, the theologian. Now, Jonathan, Edwards, if you go to any seminary and you start talking history of the church, Jonathan Edwards is going to always come up. He was heralded as America's greatest theologian. He was a pastor, and he owned slaves. C.R. Schofield was a soldier in the Confederacy. He was an evangelical theologian, highly esteemed in the Evangelical world. In his Schofield Reference Bible, he talks and popularized popularized the inferiority of the black race through the curse of Ham in Genesis nine. Basil Manly Senior, Baptist pastor, president. I think he was the second president of the University of Alabama from 1837 to 1855. He's a pastor, president of a college, slave owner, owned 40 slaves. He was the chaplain of the Confederacy. He played a leading role in the founding of the Southern Baptist Convention. He was a founding chairman for the Board of Trustees for the Southern Baptist Theologian Seminary. He was considered one of the greatest preachers in his time, and he taught that slavery was justifiable theologically. It was a part of God's order. He taught that God gave whites the right to own and sell slaves. He taught that there was a racial hierarchy established by God with whites on the top, the African race on the bottom, and their roles, Africans' roles, were to serve. He also believed that beatings and selling off of family members were permissible in God's sight. Now, We're talking about the religious side. We're talking about ministers. We're talking about the church. Frederick Douglass, who was an ex-slave, Frederick Douglass was an ex-slave. He, in 1846, he, he became one of the leaders of the abolitionist movement but he was an ex-slave. You can go to bookstores and get books by him. In 1846, Frederick Douglass was invited to speak in London, England, and he spoke from the subject slavery in the pool pit. Now, here's what Frederick Douglass, who was an ex-slave, said in his discourse in England. He said the slave system in America finds no stronger ally in any quarter than in the American church. I want to say that again. Frederick Douglass, an ex-slave, he had been under the system. He said the slave system in America finds no stronger ally in any quarter Than in the American church. Now listen what he says. He's talking to a group of people who had invited him in London, England, and he's talking about, he's talking about slavery in the pulpit. He said, the political parties in the United States that uphold the sin of slavery dwindles into insignificance when compared with the power of the church to uphold and sustain that system. I'll say it again. He said the political parties in the United States that uphold the sin of slavery dwindle into insignificance when compared with the power the church upholds the church upholds and sustains the system of slavery. He said... The church had more power to uphold and sustain slavery in America than even the political system, even politicians. Now, listen what he says. He said, I've been owned by religious and irreligious slave holders. Next to being a slave at all, I regard the greatest calamity to be that of belonging to a religious slaveholder. He said, I have found them to be the most mean, exacting, and the most cruel. Frederick Douglass, an ex slave, he said, I've been owned by religious and irreligious slave holders. He said, uh, next to being a slave, He said next to he said that's his greatest uh, fear is being a slave again, but he said next to that the greatest calamity he would find in his life is to be a slave to a Christian slaveholder. He said the Christian slaveholders were the most mean, exacting, and the most cruel of all slaveholders. Now. With that kind of legacy, that kind of legacy, it is negligent, negligent for there to be silence in the church and especially in the white branch of the church. Silence is complicit. This theology, this ideology of of inferiority and superiority, the white race is superior, the black race is inferior and the white race is 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 uh, above the black race behind it ran through political systems and is run through the church. I am saying to white pastors and the white branch of the church You cannot be silent. You cannot brush it away. You cannot ignore it. The church is too divided. There's too much going on. There's too much division for you to say nothing and to just hope it in and and go away and just cast it over on the political system You have to. The the, the white church was the architect and the guardian of racism in America. You weren't there. You didn't cause it to happen, but you have been given a stewardship, a stewardship. And listen, if white Christians and white ministers and the white church was a part of the problem, a huge part of the problem. You have to be a part of the solution. Black people, black ministers can't be the only one or the primary voices speaking out against racism. They, black people can't. Think about it. We had a, uh, we had a after George Floyd uh, death, murder, There was a mass protest across America and internationally. And think about it. It wasn't just black people protesting. It was white people protesting. And it was something about seeing not just black people protesting, but white people protesting. There have always been white people who stood against it racism in america would not have been broken without the white abolitionists they they spoke out against it there's no way in the world that now you can just be silent you have to speak out against it you speak out against it. It's an ideology. It is a spirit. You can't break it with just legislation. You have to break this. Listen what the word says. It says in Psalms one hundred seven twenty. it says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. He sent his word and healed them. The Bible says in Romans 12, 2, it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, this thing, this ideology of white people being superior, black people being inferior, it passes from generation to generation, and it cannot be broken over your congregation if you don't preach against it. you got to talk about racism, what it is, where it comes from. You've got to talk about God is against you got to do series on it. You can't just stand up and say, I don't believe in racism. Racism is bad. You've got to preach on this thing the same way you preach on evangelism, the same way you preach on on holiness, the same way you preach on these other subjects. If you, if when you look in your catalog and you have no series, you have nothing on racism, then you've got to preach it. And if you preach it in the past, you say, well, I preached that in the past. you got to preach it now. Our, the church is divided along racial lines, and that is a problem for God. It is a problem for you. Revival cannot come to America until this situation is dealt with. So Isaiah, 10, 27, Isaiah 10, 27, it says, and his yoke, it says, in that day, his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulders, and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Racism is a spirit. It is a demonic spirit. It is a generational curse that can only be broken over the hearts and the minds of people by preaching. The Bible said, how can they hear without a preacher. Now, I see that I got questions. I see I got but I want to share with you where I'm going next week. The next part of this, we talked about the divide, we talked about racism. Now I want to I want to talk from the subject next week, together but not equal. Together but not equal. I want to look at the diversity-centric approach. Diversity. A lot of times we say we got diversity. We got diversity in our church. We got diversity. We together. Yeah, you're together, but are you equal? Together, but not equal. We'll we'll talk about that next week. Listen, Listen, thank you so very much. I got some questions that I want to look at. Question number one, since equality and the ideology of racism have not been addressed by the church, could this be the reason churches in America continue to be segregated because black people know this fact? Yes. Yes. The answer to that, your question is yes. Yes. Listen, next week. I want to I want to I show you I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going uh, to tap into your imagination and I'm going to show you a race tree, race tree. And we're going to look at the roots of the race tree. We're going to look at three branches of the race tree. And we're going to see now that that segregation is a fruit of racism. It is a fruit of racism. So, your question is since equality and the ideology of racism have not been addressed by the church, and it has not, it really has not, could this be the reason churches in America continue to be segregated? Yes. Yes, not just because black people know this fact, but it continues to be segregated because the ideology, this ideology of one is superior one is inferior and all this kind of stuff, and one one is this. That ideology is what's calling racism, and I hope I can paint it for you in our next session. Second question. Pastor, how can white pastors and white Christians teach or stand against racism when the overwhelming thought that is heard by many is that the conversation about America being a nation built on slavery is basically devilish because the founding fathers had a vision of all people being equal. The problem I see with this approach to this issue of racism is that intent and actions are not, and for the most part, have not aligned with this position." In other words, many leaders, including the founding Fathers, participated in and condoned slavery, which canceled the intent of equality. Thank you, thank you, thank you for teaching this biblical and historical sound subject. Now, I want to look at the first part of the question, because I think you kind of answered your question. Pastor, how can white pastors and white Christians teach or stand against racism when the overwhelming thought that is heard by many is that the conversation about America being a nation, being on slavery, is basically devilish because the Founding Fathers had a vision of all people being equal. Now, now, okay, I hit on that in the teaching, but listen at this. Um, White pastors and white Christians are going to have to renew their minds and they're going to have to listen to black pastors who know something about this black authors. They're going to have to read some books by black authors on racism. And they're going to have to listen to some black historians. But white Christians have to understand, whereas they have a responsibility to teach their congregations but they also have a responsibility to learn. They've gotta learn. And when white pastors have been used to being the leader and the teacher, white pastors are gonna to have to humble themselves, gonna to have to listen to some black pastors who know what they're talking about, read some books by black authors on racism and study black history but white pastors have to get informed because when when a white pastor says that the, the founding fathers had a vision of all people being equal, that is rooted in ignorance. Now, I don't mean any harm when I say this. I don't use the word ignorant in a derogatory sense. When people talk about the founding fathers being great Christians and the and we were and we built the country on Christianity and equality, that's not true. That is, that is not true. Listen at this, and I, I said this. When Thomas Jefferson said we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And are endowed by their their creator with certain uninalienable rights. He wasn't talking about black people. He wasn't talking. He, 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 black people were not even included in what he was saying. Because when you listen to what he said, when he when he wrote in his notes to Virginia, he said blacks are inferior to whites in the endowment of both body and mind. So the founding fathers didn't think of equality for all people like black people and white people. They didn't think that. They considered black people as property, so they weren't even considered men. So they, when they wrote the thing, now here's the beauty of God. Here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of the father. Even though they weren't intentionally writing by all people, black, white, red, yellow, and brown, they were not. The man's one of the one of the leaders said the America one founded by Negroes for Negroes. It was founded for white men, by white men, for white men. Now listen at this. Here's God and his great wisdom. Even though it wasn't pinned for black people and people of color, I believe the spirit of God allowed it to be written. Because God had in mind all races, all people. The founding fathers did. So when they say to talk about racism as devilish, no, it is devilish, to be honest with you, to not be honest about our, our founding fathers and how America was founded. That's dishonest. I mean, that's, that's closer to devilish. But I, I don't know if I'd call it devilish. I think it's just ignorance. But that, that that is something that we've got to talk about because when you, when you paint it, I think America is the greatest country on the planet. Now, listen, I don't want to be nowhere else. I think we got the greatest thing going. But that doesn't mean we ignore our history. That doesn't mean we paint this picture of our history like we just loved everybody, cared about everybody, and we went to war and almost 600,000 people died Fighting for slavery or fighting about slavery. Third question. Racism has persisted for so long, in my opinion, because we have in many ways just tolerated it and then want to rock the boat, but learn to just deal with it. Another reason it's persisted is that we as people have been programmed to assimilate easily. Out of fear from some, it's never been addressed. Well, that's what I was saying. I think you're absolutely right in this. Racism has persisted for so long, in my opinion, because we have, in many ways, just tolerated it. That's true. We tolerate it. And then we we don't want to rock the boat. Well, I think that's absolutely true because when you talk about racism, and I've been talking about racism for years, I mean, not just muted voice, but I've been talking about it for years. I've put it on television. I've had people to say that I was... Uh, racist, and that I was stirring people up, and I was dividing. Well, anytime anytime something is shameful to you, it's embarrassing to you, you you'll want to distance yourself from it. It's an uncomfortable thing. I am not saying that white people in our day is responsible for what happened to enslaved people. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the white Christians, white church as a group, have a legacy, has a legacy in slavery. And I'm saying if the group was a part of the problem and a beneficiary of the problem, then why not help deal with the solution. I mean, why not care? I mean, to not care? I mean, and I wonder what what is that, that lack of empathy to not even care. And for the average black person, it sounds like, well, if I'm in the winner's seat, why should I want to share it? Now, that's what it sounds like to, uh, to black people. This subject rocks boats, you know what I said? I said this to the Lord before I shared this. I said this to the Lord yesterday. I said, I'm going to share it because I think you want me to share it, but everybody ain't going to like this. What I'm getting ready to share it. Everybody ain't going to like it. I know everybody ain't going to like it, but I'm going to do it just because you want me to do it. Well, every pastor, every minister have to be willing to rock boats. Everybody's not going to like us, but the bottom line is we're divided and God hates it and he hates prejudice and he hates, and see, if we will exalt racism the same way we do abortion the same way do same-sex marriages, if we talk about it the same way, we can deal with this. We can get rid of this. We can break its power, but we won't reach it. And if you're a pastor listening to me, how many series on racism do you have in your catalog, your teaching catalog? How many sermons have, how many series have you taught on racism? Now, if you take a survey, that'll explain a lot about what I'm talking about. Comment. Um Pastor Mike, you are on point. I have taught American government for 20 years, and the information you provided today is so important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Question. You have taught us that a stronghold is a way of thinking that is established over time, fortified by custom, and resistant to change. Yes, that's what I taught. A stronghold is a way of thinking. You got it that is established over time, fortified by custom resistance to change. With that said, in addition to teaching, what else will it take to change this deep-seated mindset of systemic racism? What does success look like for the church? Well, that's a great, great multiple for question. Teaching and dialogue is the beginning. It's the beginning We have to to deal with the spiritual forces that Jesus said to Satan, "It it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. And then the Bible says in Matthew 4, 11, then the devil left him. See, there are spiritual forces behind this racism thing, and the only thing can drive those forces back and break the power of those forces is the word of God. Okay, that's a part of it. Another part of it is when we deal with racism and we have proximity, the closer you get to people, the know you the more you know about them. Some of our ignorance and our fear is because we're segregated. The closer you get, when you have a interracial friendship or inner people struggle with the interracial marriage but when you have a relationship of a person of a different culture or different race and you get close enough you can learn something about that and understanding can flow so it's going to take from the church standpoint it's going to take teaching and it's going to involve repentance we're going to have to repent we're going to have to change our mind we're going to have to repent Because some people have implicit bias and they don't know it. They don't know it. So, for example, if I said put a race to these words, crime, what would you put, black or white? If I said intelligence, put a race, black or white, what would you put? If I ask you, your son, your daughter wants to marry a person, a black person or a white person, how does that make you feel? You like that? Not like that? Do you have a problem with that? See, sometimes people have implicit bias, but they don't really know it. They're unaware of it. And so teaching helps us to begin to evaluate ourselves. That's why we did the study guide. The study guide, there are three products. There's the uh, small group guide, and the study guide is reflection. It it helps you to reflect, to evaluate yourself. You have to evaluate yourself. Um, um, I think success... Uh, it's going to look like when we have open, honest discussions, uh, when we can talk, uh, openly and disagree and, and even maybe get angry a little bit, but not fall out when we can get close enough and not just diversity. Cause I'm going to talk about that. You can have diversity and not be close. You can have racism right in the middle of diversity. Um, Uh, I think that's what it looks like, but it is a process. It is something that's going to take. It looks like some of these laws being changed. Uh, So, Pastor Mike, how can two walk together if they can't agree as an knowledge of the white church or the body of Christ? So, for example, we may not see the past or the future history the same based on the widespread support of modern-day evangelical preachers and pastors' actions of praying for two different results with this post-20 election. Um, You know, uh, I think that there are some things that we can disagree on. Uh, I've been married to my wife for 42 years, and there's some things that we disagree on but there's some common things. Equality can't be something that we differ on. You know, you got some people, they chose one side because of the abortion and the the gay marriage issue. You had some people chose because they thought of racism and justice and all that. I I think you can agree to disagree on some ideology things, and still be close and love each other. You can disagree. You know, at one time, my wife was an Auburn fan and I was an Alabama fan. Now, she's jumped over. <laughs> uh, but there are people one, all want Alabama, but there's still some things in common. And equality, Romans 8, Rome, pardon me, Galatians 3.28, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither female nor uh, male or female, there's neither bond nor free. You're all one in Christ. We have to agree on equality. We have to agree on that. Now, all the other things, just like we disagree on how you baptize—some people you sprinkle, some people you dunk—we can disagree on some things, but there's some things we have to we have to agree on. So, what is our part as believers to change this deep-seated mindset and to get in the word? Get in the word, share the word, share what you're learning, share it with somebody else, have some discussions. We'll, we'll pick this up again next week. Again, we went over, uh, but, uh, we did our best. We're going to talk about together, but not equal next week. And I believe it's going to be a third part and we'll add something else to it. Love you. Thank you.